Hello everybody and welcome back to Spill Your Beans. Uh, today is something very different and exciting. Um, I am just by myself today, we're not with a guest. This is a new show on Spill Your Beans that we're trying out called The Who Review. Um, I made a bit of a name for myself in the Doctor Who community through YouTube with a channel called Ace Creeper, uh, now renamed to my actual name, George Sheard, and I do weekly reviews on there. Uh, after a Doctor Who episode will come out, I'll do a quick sort of rundown, a little 10 minute review, chopping it all down, see what I think, bish bash bosh. But I thought this year round, with me having this podcast, it made sense to do something with Doctor Who here as well, now that there's a brand new series on and it happens oh so rarely nowadays. So... Here we are with a brand new show called The Who Review. This will be about an hour-ish long, hopefully, depending on how much I have to talk about. Um, But it's basically going to cover all my thoughts on the episode, breaking down all the little bits and bats, giving it a rating out of 10, and then talking about theories. Not just theories based on the episode and the series arc, but theories based on specifically the next episode as well. So, yes, if you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing and following or whatever platform you're on. Uh, We do, obviously, a new Who review every Wednesday now, at least I'm trying to, and there's also a new film review every Friday. So this Friday, we're going to be reviewing three Marvel MCU films. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, uh, a lot to be excited for. So if you are new to this and you like films, please consider trying out... um, the episodes that we do weekly with films as well. So, yeah, that's all fun, well and good. Anyway, let's talk about um, Series 13, or Flux, Episode 1, The Halloween Apocalypse. Um, it's a brand new episode, the first episode since New Year's Day, Revolution of the Daleks. And, to be honest, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite impressed. I said this on the review, but I've had a chance to rewatch it now, and I'm still impressed. It wasn't just because it's new Doctor Who and it's exciting and all that sort of kit and caboodle. I genuinely am excited by this. This feels like a big step in the right direction. Chris Chibnall's clearly wanted to do this sort of storytelling um, with Doctor Who before. And it it shows. He obviously excelled with a wonderful series called Broadchurch, um, which was sort of ITV drama. It ran for three series. And that is about eight-ish episodes, eight to ten episodes, I think, and they all tell one big story with lots of different characters, lots of setups, and it's clearly where he excels in terms of writing and character development, and I was always interested to see what Chibnall would do um, in terms of Doctor Who with that, do it, you know, their own little story, and it seems he's managed to get his way thanks to COVID and all that sort of thing. We've got a six-episode series where he's managing to tell one big story, which I'm quite excited about. This is the first episode of such, and I know a lot of people are saying it feels crammed, it feels a bit over-stuffed with lots of stuff. I think there's a few errors in this, and we'll talk about that as we go through. Um, There's the standard Chibnall tropes in here. But for the most part, it's a really genuinely good episode for me. I It felt like a return to form a little bit. It obviously had the sort of Chibnall-era isms, but it was a huge step up, and it's definitely where Chibnall excels in terms of storytelling. And it makes me genuinely excited for the rest of the series when I really wasn't before. So, um, the Halloween Apocalypse. Basically, what we're going to do with this review is we're going to break it down sort of scene by scene. Not really, but kind of talk about what different characters are doing, what things are introduced. Because there's so much happening in one episode that I feel like we can talk about that sort of stuff quite openly. And break it down into so many different categories. Uh, Towards the end of this uh, podcast, we're going to be doing... Uh, theories. I've got a theory about regeneration and the timeless children, as well as theories for next week. And I'm also going to be reading your guys' hot takes and theories directly from Twitter. If you want to submit your hot takes and theories for next week, be sure to check out my Twitter at GBSheard for more of that. Um, 
But yeah, let's talk about it. So the opening of the episode, it starts with Yaz and the Doctor. It starts with them sort of dashing about on this planet, hanging upside down over this big acid pool. It's a big CGI fest, basically. It's all on a big green screen soundstage kind of thing. But considering it was done during lockdown, I can absolutely excuse that. And I was genuinely surprised with how good this looked. I know a lot of people... A few people took issue with it. I know Rachel Talalay even said um, she was surprised that this opening managed to get through quality control, which I think is, wow, a bit rough. Um, but I think it was pretty good, generally, on the whole. I mean, I'm not a CGI expert, but I think the hologram of Carvani still looked pretty good. I think them dangling upside down, it looked pretty good. I mean, it wasn't a huge effort in terms of CGI, but it worked pretty well. It was engaging, it was exciting. The writing... The dialogue between Yaz and the Doctor was pretty exciting. It's great to sort of see that dynamic, and we'll talk about that a bit more in a bit. Um, but I really like seeing Yaz and the Doctor interact with each other in more ways than just the, um, you know, what we had before last series with a TARDIS team of four people. It does get quite crowded. They are just standing in a row a lot of the time, and they all have to have their own developed characters. And I don't think that was Chibnall's strength. I think Chibnall's strength really is working with one or two companions. We'll see when Dan becomes a bit more developed. Um, But we've got six episodes here with, well, nine episodes technically, um, with a TARDIS team of three instead of four. So we'll see how that's developed over time but I'm already liking the 13 and Yaz dynamic I was hoping we'd get a little bit more of that before we get a new companion introduced though um but yeah on the whole uh, it's pretty good and I'm quite excited by that the first opening scene was really good um the joke about the um the handcuffs and doing the Scottish accent and stuff I genuinely laughed out loud to that I can't deny it I'm not going to dance around it like it made me laugh out loud I had a reaction to that, which is something that the Chibnall Hero hasn't done too much for me. Some of the jokes really don't land, you know, obviously going back to the resolution one that everyone uses. I really liked that, though. The opening was funny. Um, and I thought the CGI, especially the shot where they fell into the TARDIS, I think, like, in the trailer when I saw the shot of them falling towards the TARDIS, well, now, well, now that we know they're falling towards the TARDIS, they're sort of, like, spinning through the sky. I thought that was a bit naff. And I thought the bits where they looked like they were on sort of broomsticks like witches, I thought that was a bit weird. But I think it was still quite well done. It blended well. I didn't feel like they... I knew they were on, like, a green screen soundstage, but I didn't feel like that the whole time. You know, I was kind of like, this is convincing. This is, like, a fun, action-packed opening, like, cold open kind of thing. And especially the way they fell into the TARDIS and it had that shot of them flying in to the TARDIS doors with the momentum and then bouncing off that trampoline onto the bed before the sort of grav uh, gravity of the ship actually kicks in. I thought that was brilliant. That's the kind of thing I've wanted to see since um, the 11th hour when Matt Smith sort of crawled out the TARDIS when the gravity was turned off. I thought that was brilliant and I'd love to see the dynamics of the TARDIS used with the gravity being on the floor and then the TARDIS actually not being upright from the outside. Um, like River Song, for example, when she kept falling into the TARDIS time and time again on multiple different occasions and she sort of splashed into the swimming pool. It was really nice to see those things done in sort of one coherent shot really with them bouncing off a big trampoline onto a bed um i thought that was great and it was a really yeah action-packed a lot of fun uh titles were good nothing changed there i was hoping for a bit of a new title sequence there a slightly altered theme a little bit altered but nothing nothing major um yeah and then we've got a scene in 1820s liverpool where they're sort of excavating the williamson tunnels uh, a famous landmark in Liverpool, kind of. I don't really know much about it, but I'm sure we'll find out more throughout the series. I thought this was a bit boring, this bit. Um, Many, I've watched it twice, and I still don't really know what's going on there. I know there wasn't really much information given. Um, But it was good to set up in this for another episode, obviously. Obviously, it's probably not going to come into play for a while yet, hence why we didn't get much of it. But I liked the kind of thing that they were doing generally, and I'm sure it'll come into play 
soon, so that's quite fun. Um, but yeah, no, I liked it. It was nothing. It wasn't harmless at all. So yeah, there we go. Um, obviously, what followed was the introduction of Dan Lewis, our brand new companion, played by the wonderful John Bishop. Um, there's this horrible shot which I really don't like, which is kind of like a drone shot. It was really jittery. That was the one thing that really took me out of it. There was just that one shot. I'm not going to moan on about it because I'm not I'm not my doctor. But I, <laughs> it was a really odd shot choice that I really didn't I didn't particularly like. But after that, I really liked Dan's introduction. I think the dialogue was quite sweet. He spoke like a real person. I like the fact that he's working. Uh, he's got loads of he's got people that he knows. Obviously, Diane he's going to go out on a date with or something. I mean, there's something there. We don't know if it's a date. We don't know what it is. Um, and as well, I like the idea that he's a middle-aged man with, you know, no food in the house. He's he's obviously struggling for money a little bit, and, you know, he still wants to take this woman out. He's, he's a very nice man, clearly. Um, he's got no money in to buy food. He's got nothing in his cupboard. He's got nothing in his fridge. But he'll still try and take someone out for drinks. He'll still refuse the soup from the soup kitchen. And he still buys sweets in for kids for trick-or-treat, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Um, little tiny things like that, and I really, really hope they develop it um, and give Dan something to go for. I like the idea that a, a companion is on the TARDIS, not because of the wonders of the universe, but because almost like anything's better than being at home, maybe. I, I, it's an interesting angle, but I feel like, again, something unique, something different is always quite exciting. Um... And I get that a lot from Dan. I'm, I'm expecting something new and refreshing and a bit different. And yeah, John Bishop does the humour really well. I wasn't a huge fan of his role quite yet. Hopefully he'll come into his own a little bit more as time sort of develops on. Um, but at the moment, uh, he's fine. He's decent. Uh, the character is solid. I'm not sure about some of the dialogue, which again, I know we always talk about with Chibnall. Um, some of the dialogue feels a bit off sometimes, every now and then. That's just that's just sort of what it's like with Chibnall era, though. I think there's a few lines of dialogue which kind of just stick out, which don't really work or make you laugh when they're not supposed to make you laugh or whatever. It's fine. It's just sometimes the way they're handled by the actors doesn't seem anywhere near natural, which is weird because it's usually just one line out of like a whole... You have a whole 20 minutes where everything works and then there's like one line that's really dodgy, like Yaz's trick-or-treat line. Um... Which we'll talk about now. Um, let's talk about the swarm scene. Um, 13 and Yaz are on the TARDIS, and the 13th Doctor gets a vision of um, someone who we now know is called Swarm um, locked up in this sort of thing. And almost straight away, when the sort of soldiers appeared, um, I saw the Gallifrey gun. It's the same gun that Gat used, it's the same gun that Joe Martin's Doctor used from the last series. Which was so exciting for me because already, like already straight away, ten minutes into a brand new episode of a series, we're already getting hints at Gallifrey and the Division, and potentially Joe Martin's Doctor, who I'd really love to see more of. Um, it's exciting stuff. It really is exciting stuff, and I'm interested to see where they're going to take that. But obviously, we get this thing swarm um, disintegrates this poor woman, and. Yeah, that he sort of regenerates. And this is a weird thing that we'll talk about more at the end in terms of theories. But someone um, who I can't really remember on Twitter, sorry, I can't remember your username, um, but someone made a really good point that the two versions of Swarm, before and after he kills that woman and sort of absorbs her and then do whatever, are played by two different actors. It wasn't just different prosthetics, it was two different actors, which is very interesting. Because that straight away implies to me regeneration. 
they um swarm character sort of went through some sort of physical change their full face lit up this sort of bright blue color sort of spikes coming out in and out of their head and whatever and they changed the shape totally now yeah, I thought it was just sort of like a renewal process, but when it said there was two different actors, I think you think, why? Just change the prosthetics if it's meant to be the same character. But that and the relation to the Gallifrey gun already, Swarm already name dropping the division, I was just like, this is this is definitely something to do with regeneration. It's definitely something to do with the timeless children. Um and I'm interested to see where that's gonna go. I'm hoping it's gonna be exciting, I'm hoping it's gonna be a bit different. Um and it seems to be. I've got my own theories about where that's going to go, but we'll talk about that towards the end, because we're not in theory territory yet. Um, Anoraks are staying off for another t 20 minutes-ish. So then we get introduced um, properly to Carvanista, uh, a Lupari soldier person, dog, <laughs> uh, who is looking for Dan. He breaks into Dan's house. There's a fantastic exchange between Carvanista and Dan um before dan gets kidnapped by carvanista i think the design of carvanista is brilliant i love the idea of the lupari i genuinely think that this is probably one of the first chibnall era monsters or aliens where i've been like yeah i can see this being like in most other eras this feels really in keeping with like the new earth uh cat nurses like effect um i like the fact that they're bounded to like humanity they've all got one lupari guardian and ship per for, like for every member of humanity which is which is mad but i like that i think that's pretty cool i think that's quite fun it's different it's a very very doctor who -y concept and uh yeah i've got no complaints in that department i think the uh craig ells did a fantastic job as carvanista the accent was very reminiscent of um the absorber off or peter k just because of that sort of northern twang um but it was brilliant it gave me a little bit of game of thrones energy as well sometimes a little bit it was it was fun you know it was a nice exchange and that character was really engaging uh generally i, I i've not felt that engaged with an alien monster kind of character from jody's era so far i think carvanista was a great addition and i really hope we see a lot more of him in the future um there's a fantastic scene between obviously third we're jumping forward a little bit here um but the 13th doctor and carvanista have a little scene where they sort of mention that carvanista was one of the only active members or one of the only members alive or something of the division um which was very interesting to me again because obviously the division previously was mentioned only in the timeless children um two episodes ago and now we're being told that it's not just a time lord thing it's not just a gallifreyan thing it's also for other species there is a member of the lupari here who was in the division could there be division operatives as part of the ooze slovene daleks you know like how far does this go how many different species are included do they have to have you know what what sort of connection is it i think it's interesting that um a species um like the lupari has an operative in the division especially when they're so linked to earth and the humans that's another interesting bridge between not just the gallifreyans and the time lords but it sort of bridges that gap between the time lords and the humans a lot more than the doctor did and uh, not not more than the doctor did but it sort of it adds on to that you know the doctor's always had this connection and fascination with humanity and i like the idea that carvanista from who's from a species um that is supposed to be paired with humanity and be their guardians is also an operative for some sort of gallifreyan time lord spy agency by the sounds of it which is really weird i like it yeah, I like it, but I'm 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 sort of interested. It just it, it sparks more questions than answers, which is obviously the, the thing that a, 
an opening episode of a series is supposed to do. Um, and it's got me excited. It's got me looking forward to the next part of the, the era. But yeah, even the interaction between him and Jodie was really good. That performance was great. Most of the scenes on Carvanista's ship were really engaging and fun and just kind of very Doctor Who-y, you know? Uh, I was expecting the um, Cybermen to show up at some point as well because of the set design. So I'm assuming at some point the Cybermen are going to be involved and start taking down one of the Lupari ships. Maybe that's how the blockade's broken, I don't know. But if you look in the trailer, it's the same set, which is very interesting. Um, so we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Moving on to another character and another introduction, we've got Claire. Um... Claire is a very interesting character that sparked my attention straight away. Probably the most excited I've been in a Doctor Who episode in a while, you know, um, probably since the Timeless Children, really, in terms of, like, shocking reveals and stuff. Claire sort of walks up to the Doctor and Yaz, already knowing who they are. We've never seen Claire before. The Doctor and Yaz have never seen Claire before, but she knows them. Reminded me very much of the ending of Blink, um, with Sally Sparrow being like, Hey, Doctor, I know you you need to listen to me or whatever about this thing felt very reminiscent of that without doing too much of the oh i need to tell you all this expositional information thing because obviously this time we're in, we're in the perspective of the doctor and not sally sparrow so couldn't really do that this time but i liked it and i knew straight away the weeping angels were going to get introduced in like a couple minutes and they did in a glorious style i was so excited when i saw that weeping angel um Genuinely, uh, it's been so long. I'm a big Weeping Angel fan. I don't think there's a single main Weeping Angel episode that I don't like. I think Blink is obviously a stroke of genius. I think Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone is brilliant. And Angels Take Manhattan, I feel, is very underrated, actually. I think it's a great story. It's a great departure story for Amy and Rory. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's very, you know, out there. It's very stylized. I like how it's almost like a noir detective kind of mystery. Um... And it works. It does the trick. It's a great Weeping Angel story. I'm not too keen on the big Statue of Liberty thing, but it's a good Weeping Angel story with some great imagery and ideas in it. Um, so I can't wait for a Weeping Angel episode in this era. Um, and this being the start of it, this setting it up is a really exciting part. You know, I love the fact that Weeping Angels are part of this as well. They're a brilliant monster. And... I am so gassed. I really, really am. It's going to be great. And they were great in this. It was obviously interesting to see a Weeping Angel inclusion that's sort of totally helmed by someone else. The scene was interestingly played out. You know, the character seemed to know the Weeping Angel, so that's interesting. And yeah, I don't really know. It's a really interesting one, but it begs the question, where did Claire end up when she got zapped back in time by the Weeping Angel? I don't know. But I'll be very excited to see where that sort of thing goes um, in the Weeping Angel episode. Because it seems they're setting up a lot of things in episode one that are all going to have their own individual episodes. So obviously there's going to be a Santaran episode next week. Or this week, sorry. Um, and then there's some sort of other episode that we don't really know about. And then we're probably going to get a Weeping Angel episode at some point. We're probably going to get an episode all about the Swarm towards the end of the series. We're probably going to get an episode all about 1820s Liverpool and the tunnels and what relevance that has. I don't really know, but it's quite exciting. Um, yeah, Weeping Angel stuff, really cool. Um, really, really just interesting. I just love the Weeping Angels. It was so exciting to see them back, and it was so exciting to see a proper new scene with them. We have seen the Weeping Angel in plenty of cameos over the years. Um, we've had, obviously, like, Time of the Doctor. They just sort of randomly appeared in the snow, which was also a great scene, but not perfect. 
And then, God, like, very, very briefly at the beginning of, like, Lie of the Land and, obviously, Revolution of the Daleks. They sort of appeared in a jail cell. So, yeah, it's it's great to see them actually back on form. I'm just hoping that the direction and the um, cinematography of The Weeping Angels is up to par. Because this was a good scene, but it did for me, there's something... I, ha- I have to be nitpicky because I love The Weeping Angels so much. I mean, this is nitpicking, don't worry. I'm, not, I'm, I'm totally admitting that. I'm not blissfully unaware. Um... But, you know, the fact that it just kept moving and held the same position made it feel more like a statue and less like a sort of creature from another planet. I was kind of hoping the hands would move. There was a fantastic shot where um, Claire walked behind a tree, but the Weeping Angel hadn't moved. And I kind of think that if she's the only one observing it, it would have been a really, really great shot to have in one shot a POV of Claire walking past the tree. So you get the angel in one position, and then the second Claire's moved past the tree, in the same POV shot, the angel's moved. That would be quite... I don't know, it would have been quite clever, but then that's me just putting in my own opinion. I'm not saying that's any better. It might end up, that might have looked even more shit, so who knows. But yeah, I was having just one flash of like imagery of the Weeping Angel's sort of scary face and everything else just being stuck in the same weeping position. I hope that's not how it's done in the actual episode. I hope there's some actual like movement and stuff because the Moffat era really developed the sort of way the Weeping Angels attack and move and, you know, they are fascinating and they are terrifying when done well um this felt more like a sort of video game interpretation of the weeping angels where they just sort of move without actually physically moving their shape if you know what i mean but i still liked it haven't got many problems with it really really enjoyed it pretty good um talking of other returning monsters and aliens from the past we have the Santarans in a brand new design um here with the whole scene as well. It was great to see Dan Starkey back as a Sontaran again. And I think the most interesting thing is... So we've got a new actor playing the main Sontaran general. But I don't want to focus on him so much. Even though that was the clearest look we had of the new design. Which, by the way, I think is gorgeous. Um, the best sort of comparison example I can personally think of is... Obviously using Dan Starkey. Because Dan Starkey's played the Sontarans before. He's been playing the Sontarans throughout the modern era... Um, in almost every interpretation. I think he's pretty good, um, but this was really interesting because it was a very different performance. Same actor, but different voice. He was doing a sort of different kind of impression. It was a sort of more refined, gritty kind of Sontaran, which was quite interesting. Maybe it was because it was through the hologram and it wasn't as clear. But I quite like that. I quite like that we're getting to see a totally different kind of Sontaran here. I would love this to be the main Sontaran design going forward. I was never really a fan of the blue ones, and I think the face design of the ones in the blue armour looked shit as well. Sorry to say it, you know, for the time, in 2008, it was great, but we've had it for years, and it's great that they brought the Sontarans back, not just that, but they made them feel like a really classic retro design. A lot of people maybe don't like the classic Q design, but I think this works. It's got the facial expressions, it's got the mannerisms, whilst still looking a bit old and creepy they do the tongue thing which i think is gorgeous it's such a daft little thing but it works so well the way they talk is very classic i was just absolutely stunned whenever the suntarans were on screen they look and sound brilliant it's one of the best doctor who monster redesigns i think i've ever seen and that is a big statement but i genuinely think it's true it's one of my favorite redesigns i've ever seen you know we, in the Chibnall era, we've had a few little redesigns here and there, but they're sort of variations, like Ashad, the lone Cybermen. And we've also got the new Cybermen design as well in terms of the Cyber Warriors and the Cybermasters and all that sort of thing. But they can be easily erased and not used again. 
Um, same with the Recon Scout Daleks and the Jack Robertson built Daleks from Revolution. It's like the redesigns we've had in this era so far are sort of temporary fixtures. These Sontarans look like the real deal. These are the Sontarans that I look at and go, these are the same guys who are in the Sontaran experiment. These are the same guys who are in the Time Warrior. Um, they feel classic who, but they also feel very modern monsters as well. And I'm very excited to see where that's going to go next week. But yeah, um, I thought it was a great introduction scene and it was great to see them. Um, yeah, it's cool stuff. Um, Swarm and Azor the two sort of weird ethereal creatures from another realm by the looks of it. Um, Swarm gets to Earth in the Arctic Circle, kills this woman's poor husband or whatever, and then turns her into Azor. Um, she says thank you, which implies that either she was fully aware of her true form, or it was hiding under some sort of shell, like a perception filter or a chameleon arch kind of thing. But yeah, they're able to disguise themselves as humans, which is interesting because that could hint to something again different with regeneration and the doctor specifically i'm a little bit concerned about that but again we'll talk about that in the theory section there's not much else to say here but yeah uh leaving that there i thought these monsters were great these new introductions they're obviously the big bads of the series azor didn't get much to do she appeared in a couple scenes and a few shots but there was nothing really impactful there she didn't really say much um swarm did a lot of the talking and a lot of the uh sort of dominating really let's be honest um but it's cool to have a you know it's a very cliche thing to have an evil brother and sister relationship but you know i don't mind it it was all right it was fine it worked did the trick um and i really like swarm as a character so far i'm not a huge fan of the prosthetic work um i think it looks cool but i think it looks almost a little bit too cheesy and a little bit flashy um totally fine if that's your cup of tea it's just it rubs me up the wrong way i'm gonna take a bit of getting used to for these new monsters especially if they're such big characters however don't hate them i don't hate them i think they're pretty cool i'm just like i'm holding back on my perception at the moment <laughs> um but yeah really like them and then finally let's talk about the flux this sort of universe ending event christopher Null promised to blow up the universe in episode one of series 13 and he did absolutely that it's been breaking down the tardis um and at the end we realize that the flux is basically mostly unstoppable as far as we're concerned it just wipes out planets and civilizations, and even the heart of the TARDIS couldn't stop it. So, yeah, an exciting ending. Um, I don't know much about where the flux is going. Um, what's happening with that? I really, I really don't know. I'm not sure. I'm excited, kind of, about where it's going to go. I'm not really sure. I'm just holding back my perceptions because I'm just like, I, I can't really say anything about it. There's nothing really to talk about. It's just this big mass. That's destroying everything in its path and it's almost about to eat the TARDIS so there we go I think it's interesting how the Lupari have managed to design something that can stop um, the flux that the flux can't get past I think it's a little bit convenient but I don't mind it um, of course we meet Vinda as well the brand new character played by Jacob Anderson who's like a new sort of side character slash companion slash hopefully just side character so we don't have another TARDIS team of like four again um, He's pretty good so far. There wasn't really much of him in there. Um, he sort of was looking at the universe at this sort of research station and then the flux came and then he escaped and that was that. We're going to see a lot more of him in episode two by the looks of things with this sort of weird temple thing. But yeah, it's pretty cool. It was exciting. It was, it was different again. Like I keep saying that a lot with this. It was just, that's the sort of main vibe I have with this episode is it was different. It was out there. It was exciting. And it's something that like I really look forward to um 
you know, down the road with this series. This is refreshing, you know, Doctor Who hasn't felt this refreshing in a long time, and hopefully they stick with it, and hopefully it pays off, but we'll wait and see. That's basically the episode broken down, though, in the first half an hour of this review. Um, now, we're going to read through some hot takes and theories and all that sort of thing, and discuss what people might be talking about uh, generally with this sort of thing. So, um, let's get on this. Let's talk through some things that people have been saying about this episode from Twitter. Remember, we're going to do this every single week, so... If you guys want to put your hot takes in, your theories in, you want to get them read out on this little review show, then please do head over to my Twitter and check out every Sunday where I'll be posting a tweet that you can reply under and get on here. Okay, so from at Andrew Comif B, we've got two theories. Uh, one, I think Dan could be destined to become the crystal guy somehow. Though this is a major stretch and I have zero evidence for it. Yeah, I think that is a bit of a stretch. I'm not really sure if I agree with that one. I mean, it's a cool theory. It's a nice idea. Obviously, Dan should be important in some capacity. He's a companion that's being introduced with only nine episodes in total. Um, so I'm not sure how they're going to do that with, you know, I, I think he needs to have something interesting to him to develop him um, in those episodes. The only thing with that is Flux is only six episodes and there are three specials after that. And we know that John Bishop's Dan is in the Centenary special because he's been seen filming with Bradley Walsh. So... I don't think they're going to do that, but it's an interesting theory. The second theory the guy had was the Crystal Guy is the Valiot, since he can regenerate, but isn't exactly a Time Lord, and has fought the Doctor in the past. It's an interesting one. Again, I'm not 100% convinced. I think that... I love the Valiard stuff, but I feel like they've had their chance knew who to do that, and I feel like it's too obvious of a, a cop-out. Plus, the way they were talking and the way the dialogue is fractured... It mostly implies to me that it was before the Doctor had her mind wiped and it was like with Joe Martin's Doctor or one of the Fugitive Doctors or something like that. Um, but yeah. Hypervisuals UK says the series will end series 10 style, except instead of Bill and Heather being happy together, it will be Dan and Carvanista. Oh, that is a lovely idea. Um, Andrew Martin UK says the Scribble Monster turns out to be the ancient ancestor of the Flux. And that's why the outpost called Rose got a battering revenge for opening the garage in 2012. Well, it's an interesting theory. Not sure if it will come true. Tibbet99 uh, says that Swarm and Azor threw the Doctor through the portal onto Gallifrey and the Timeless Children after their last battle. Hmm. Maybe. So, you're saying there with the Timeless Children stuff is that... The Timeless Child came through some sort of boundary, vortex, kind of dimensional rip in time and space or whatever. So you're saying that maybe they threw the Doctor through that portal in the first place to be the Timeless Child. I would partially be inclined to agree, apart from the fact that, that the Timeless Child is at that point actually supposed to be a kid, not like an adult, not like a fully-fledged adult yet. Um, or have had an adult life, you know, the mind wipe was way, way after that. So I'm still assuming that Swarm and Azor, despite them being quite strange creatures, still happened within the universe. They're not like multiversal beings, I wouldn't have guessed anyway. They seem to be some sort of species that is available within the universe, but I'm sure that'll be explored when the Doctor actually meets them properly, opposed to some sort of vision. Um, but we'll wait and see for that. Uh, Fekka also says... 
I'm kind of reaching here, but to me the effect when the swarm makes someone fizzle out of existence kind of looks similar to the flux, so they could be related. Another idea I had is the flux doesn't actually destroy stuff, but transforms it into something else or teleports it elsewhere. There's been a lot of hints and talks about maybe doing a multiversal thing this series. There was a lot of rumours about that, but you can't obviously prove any of that's going to happen. Uh, but maybe it's something right, you know? I find it unlikely that Doctor Who would stick to all these planets being destroyed, unless they, get, they are going to stick to it. We've not seen any planet that we know of yet being totally wiped out. Um, but the Flux is the kind of event that's really interesting for a showrunner to do at the end of their tenure, when we've got a new showrunner coming around the corner. Almost like an excuse to do a soft reboot anyway. Um... So we'll wait and see, and see where that sort of one goes, I'm not really sure. Uh, but yeah, that's that. Ultimate 13th says the Swarm is the big bad of the Timeless Child Doctor. I think I'd agree, that's a pretty good one. Uh, Claire is stuck in a loop with the Angel, repeatedly living to 2021 and getting hunted down and sent back again. So similar to Angels Take Manhattan there. Interesting idea, it's a potential, I'm not really 100% sure, but it's potential. Um, possibly my favourite 13 episode. It's the first episode since Capaldi that I've loved and had pure enjoyment for. Well, that is great to hear. I'm, I'm, you know, that's that's actually fab, especially considering it's like since Capaldi, because um, that is quite a while. That's a that's a long four years right there. Blobfish Psychic says something's up with Dan. Carvanista's uh, mind control thingy didn't work on him, and Swarm seems to target Diane specifically, and somebody is probably behind slash controlling the flux. Well. I would assume I would assume that Swarm is controlling the Flux. Uh, the way he was talking to the Doctor implies that this is their final battle. It's not separate to the Flux. The Flux is part of that. That's part of what they're doing. Um, some big universal battle type thing. Very interesting point about Dan, though. I hadn't considered that. Um, the mind control thingy kind of seems like a throwaway thing. But actually, when you think about it, it could mean something a little bit more specific than that. I always took it as... I don't know why, it was never even confirmed or anything, but I always took it as like, oh, either it was malfunctioning or, like, Dan just isn't, like, a very creatively minded person. Um, you know, like, it takes a certain amount of belief. Like, you can convince a child or something that you can't convince an adult. Maybe Dan is so far from his creative roots as a child that he just, he can't be simply controlled by this dog man. You know, how he sort of believed that it was a guy in a Halloween costume, despite the fact that they smashed down a door and, you know, look very, very realistic as, like, an alien creature. He didn't question it for a second. It was a child, it was, like, a, a guy in a, a Halloween mask or something, you know. That's, that's interesting. And, uh, yeah, targeting Diane specifically. I think that's maybe something to do more with Diane. Um, maybe to try and lure Dan and therefore the Doctor in on that. But I don't know how much Swarm know. Are they in control of all of this? Or are they just in control of the Flux and they don't even know about Dan? There's always possibilities there. I'm not really sure. The Lone Master um, has said the flux was caused by the death particle on Gallifrey and 13 we need to go back in time to stop her from giving the Lone Cyberman the Siberium and in that change in the course of history would somehow link to the Timeless Child. That is very, very ambitious. I'm not really 100% sure that they'll do that because that is very out there and that's crossing your own time stream in the biggest way possible. I'm not really sure, but maybe. I don't know. That's an interesting one. At who can convince has said the swarm, Doctor, I am your father. Probably completely wrong, but compl uh, but a terrifying and exciting idea. That is one that would piss off a lot of people. Um, 
We'll talk about this now then, I think the regeneration idea, because there's a lot of different things with this. So, the Swarm character seems to have some sort of regeneration. We've talked about the two different actors thing, how that's quite interesting. They already know the Doctor and have a personal, very personal connection with the Doctor. They're destroying most of the universe and framing it as their final battle, Swarm and the Doctor, once and for all. Like this huge, almost like the Master, in terms of personal connection, which is quite interesting. I'm worried they're going to do the whole I'm your father or I'm your brother kind of thing because that's a very, very big statement to put on Doctor Who. There's a reason the Master was never confirmed to be a relative of the Doctor and it was just a friend from the Academy because it's a very big stamp because once you put that stamp down and go, the Doctor is not only from like this other side of the boundary, but she's also this species that's made of like diamonds and crystals and can, is just looking human. That's my worry is that you confirm that these guys are like related, the Swarm and Azure are related to the Doctor, then you're implying that the Doctor is just disguising herself as human but actually does look like this weird crystal alien creature, which is interesting and a very fascinating out there balls to the wall idea that I'm not totally against in theory but I worry about in terms of execution that it's a very big stamp to put on Doctor Who's entire history that all along they've just been different crystal people in this thing. The one thing that disproves it for me is that swarms seem to have some sort of regeneration effect. However, swarms seem to, seem to need to take a sort of a victim um, to kill another person and absorb their energy and then renew themselves and regenerate themselves. Whereas... Time Lords don't do that. The Doctor obviously is the first ever Time Lord to regenerate on Gallifrey, or the first ever person to regenerate on Gallifrey. She was the base plant, uh, the ba uh, the base plate, the sort of blueprint for Time Lords and regeneration and all that sort of thing. She was the first ever person to regenerate, as far as we're aware. If she comes from you know some sort of species like the Swarm that can also regenerate, then she should have the same effect as Swarm. The swarm lit up blue and had all these crystal things coming out of his head. When the Timeless Child fell off the cliff and regenerated, it's the regeneration that we're familiar with. The same regeneration as the Time Lords. It wasn't different at all. It was the same flame regeneration effect. So, I would imply that they aren't the same species, but they are the yin and yang. The Doctor's species and the Swarm species are like a yin and yang kind of thing. And the Doctor... The Timeless Child, as in the Doctor of the Timeless Child, the same person, and Swarm are two people who know each other very much, very well, who have battled and battled and battled. This was in an era where the Doctor knew who they were. They knew they were the base, uh, the base plate for regeneration and Time Lord Society. They know who they are. As far as we're aware in this sense, the Doctor only had their mind wiped once, and that was before... They were turned into a child and, you know, got to live out from William Hartnell onwards. Before that, we have the Morbius Doctors, we have the Fugitive Doctors, we have the Timeless Children. All of those, I'm assuming they weren't, didn't have their mind wiped again. And I'm assuming those versions of the Doctor all knew their history. They all knew that they didn't come from Gallifrey and they all knew that they were the first version of the Doctor or the first person ever to regenerate, um, as far as they're aware. They encountered a species called the Swarm, or not a species called the Swarm, but a person called Swarm, and Swarm 
can have also uh, like this regeneration effect natural to their species, not bastardized from someone else. You know, the Time Lords, the Gallifreyans, they stole the regeneration thing from whatever species the Doctor is. But I don't necessarily think that means the Doctor and the Swarm have the same species. I feel like they are different, but I feel like they're like a yin and yang kind of thing. I don't know where I went with this. This is very anorak mode, but I don't think... Swarm is going to be related physically to the Doctor. I think that would be a very dangerous game to do. But I think it will give a hint as to what kind of race the Doctor came from. And that's all we need to know. Very little, I think. Protagonist Ivy says, my friend says they think Claire is 14. That would be an interesting idea. I think there's a lot of theories about there's a hidden next Doctor in this series. Like, one of the characters in this series is the next Doctor, and we don't know it yet. Um... I don't know. I feel like what the series is more likely to do with a surprise Doctor twist is to go there a fugitive Doctor, not that they're the next Doctor. If it was Chibnall staying on for after Jodie, I'd be like, yeah, the next Doctor could be in this series. But because it's Russell, and because the BBC are looking for something new, and probably to change it up a little bit, and also the fact that I don't think Chris Chibnall even found out that Russell was taking over until, like, very recently, around the time that we did. I don't think Russell was even picked until that recently. Um... I think it's one of those things where maybe I don't think Chris even knows who the next Doctor is. I don't think they would have decided that way, way back when they wrote Series 13. Because they were probably writing Series 13 just after Series 12 came out or while Series 12 was on. So they had a vague idea, but I don't think they were like looking at the 14th Doctor back then. I don't I don't know if that's how the schedule worked. So I don't think anyone in the series is the 14th Doctor. I may be wrong and I'd be delighted to be wrong because that would be such a fantastic twist. But I think if any secret Doctor is going to emerge, it's going to be... It's going to be a fugitive Doctor, I think. EJ Stockdale says, People saying it's all crammed in. It's a film. It's a serial. It's one story. Broadchurch, Killing Eve, Star Wars. They all throw it at you at the start and explain it each week throughout the films. It's not all over the place. It's purposeful. We've just got to be patient. I would totally agree with that. I think we are having to be patient, and I like that. People saying it's too crammed together. I think you've got a fair point. You know, if that's not your cup of tea, that's not your cup of tea. And there are still clear issues, obviously, with the story planning and the dialogue and, you know, this, that, and the other, all that sort of thing. Um, however, on the whole, I think that it's a good idea i think it's i think it is sound and i think it does work i think people say people using oh it's just crammed is an excuse to shit on it in some capacity each to your own each opinion to your own or whatever but personally i don't think it is cramped i think there is a lot in it but i think yeah it's intentional and i actually think if it pays off and the end of the series works it will be great Orange Funk says Jodie's best performance as the Doctor so far. Super excited to see how the rest of Flux plays out. I would totally agree, actually. Jodie's had some good performances, some sort of mixed ones, but I think her best performances are in these sorts of episodes where she really gets to act her arse off. This was a great example of that, as was most of Series 12. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with that. Babsus768 uh, says, Hot take, it's the best series opener in New Who. I don't think I could agree with that, but I think it might be Chibnall's and Jodie's best opener for a series so far. Spyfall Part 1 was brilliant with the master reveal and all that sort of thing, but it was a bit more ham-fisted than this is. This is actually pretty good TV that I was totally engaged in throughout. Um, 
But yeah, we've talked about, we've, got, we've had our anoraks on, we've talked about the Timeless Children, we've talked about regeneration. Um, and before we wrap this up, I'm going to talk about the next episode. So next week, or this week, sorry, um, is War of the Sontarans. A brand new episode, chapter two of Flux. And the trailers, the promotional material, it does look very interesting. And I have my own little theory about how this episode's going to start. I feel like, just because I'm expecting it at this point, the whole twist about the TARDIS blowing up and all this and that, I think that's going to be resolved very quickly. It could even be resolved in the cold open. I have absolutely no idea. I think it would be great if it did last a bit longer, but we know the episode is about the Suntarans. We know it's a historical one. So I think that's not going to happen. I think it will resolve itself very quickly. Either because of... Um, oh, either because of Swarm and the Zor, because we know they're involved with it and they have their own little temple story going on, um, or whether it's that... Or whether it's something to do with Carvanista, because obviously they know how to stop the flux um, in terms of protecting a ship. So maybe they're able to help in that capacity. I don't know. Um, but I feel like whatever happens, they're going to get back to Earth. Very you know, safe and sound very quickly. But when they land on Earth, they're going to get there. And the whole world's going to be taken over by Sontarans. We've seen shots of Sontaran ships in Liverpool docks. We've seen shot of a Sontaran ship on top of Anfield. Um, we've seen Sontarans knocking about the streets in the trailer. But how did they get there so quickly? In one day, on Halloween, they're going to be going back. You know, they, w they won't have been away that long. Um, so that's very, very interesting. My theory is that the Sontarans went back in time, because they can time travel. We know that. Their whole thing is the time warrior, you know? They've been in a lot of historicals. I think the Sontarans went back in time and invaded Earth during the Crimean War. They invaded Earth, they won, and they took over Earth as a hotspot. And in the, in, the, in the next time trailer, I think they even say something like it's a, it's like a ground for the Sontaran Empire or something like that. Something along those lines. Um, but it's, it's pretty interesting. I really, really like it. And I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with that. But my theory is that they went back in time, they took over Earth, and then they're there in the modern day. And the Doctor... Yaz and Dan have to go back in time to the Crimean War, stop it then before they take over and then go back to the modern day and then something else has gone wrong. Either that or I saw someone suggest, I can't remember where it was because it's been on, I've been on Twitter all week, um, but I saw someone suggest a very interesting idea that the Sontarans invade Earth or a small fleet of Sontarans invade Earth and a weeping angel sends them back in time the Crimean War. See, that, so that's an interesting idea to combine two big Doctor Who monsters. I don't know if they'll do that, but I think it's a very interesting idea. I think what's probably going to happen is they're going to land in the past and invade from the past. Because um, they know about the Flux, that's established. They're going to attack because of the Flux, take advantage of it. So if the Flux is distracting everything in the modern day, they think they might actually be able to get away with invading Earth in the past and actually take it over fully. So... That's interesting. Again, we're hinting at little multiverse things here. Alternate timelines, weird things like that. This is very Back to the Future in a weird way. So I'll be interested to see what happens with that and how they do it, you know, and all that sort of thing. I am crossing my fingers that it's done well and I'm hoping it's, it's engaging and not just totally rushed. We know it's about 59 minutes. It's a very long episode, actually. It's almost an hour. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited for it, though. I think it is... It's going to be different. It's going to be exciting. Um, yeah, I haven't got many theories. I think that's my main theory is that it's going to get resolved really quickly, the cliffhanger, and then 
Santarans on Earth. And it's going to be its own story by the looks of it. And the stuff with the temple, the stuff with Swarm, Azor, all that sort of thing, that's going to be the canon stuff. That's going to be the lore, the series arc stuff. But the Santarans will be a separate problem, I think. The Santarans will be the main focus of the episode as like a separate issue. And the canon lore stuff will be happening in the background. Um... Episode 3 looks interesting, so I feel like we're going to have this Sontaran episode, and then we're going to go back into a really heavy lore episode for episode 3, with lots of weird and interesting stuff going on. But yeah, that's basically my sort of theories. Um, and I think that kind of wraps up my review. Um, if I had to give it an out of 10 score, the Halloween Apocalypse, I think I would probably at the moment go for 8 out of 10. It wasn't perfect, it definitely had a few things. It's a very generous 8 out of 10, it might have been 7 in a different world. But I really enjoyed it. I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. I was on the edge of my seat. I did laugh out loud. There's a few clunky bits of dialogue. There's a few dodgy little shots here and there. If I want to nitpick, I can. But you can do that with any era of Doctor Who. And I feel like the fun of it is just enjoying what it is. I mean, in a weird way. I know that sounds ridiculous. But I enjoyed it. And if I enjoyed it, I'm not going to find things to hate about it to not enjoy it. And if you didn't enjoy it naturally, then, you know, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it. I wish you got the same sort of enjoyment out of it that I did. And I'm sure you probably probably feel the same vice versa. You probably wish that you got more enjoyment out of it or whatever. Um, I can see the errors, you know. I can see the stuff in there that I really don't like, and but it's, it's very minor for me. And I feel like I was able to sit and really enjoy this episode uh, on the edge of my sofa, grinning away like a kid again. You know, I love when Doctor Who's back on the TV again, and this was... A perfect opener for me personally as someone who loves lore, canon, story stuff and it's only six episodes so it feels like they have to get a lot in there and I really liked that. The episode didn't feel like it stopped, it just kept going and I love that sort of thing from Doctor Who. That's the kind of thing that I really tend to enjoy. So yeah, an 8 out of 10 for me, um, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, that is it for this episode, I think. I've pretty much covered everything I want to cover. Um, if you want to hear more thoughts of mine and random ramblings, obviously follow my YouTube and my Twitter at GBSheard on Twitter and Instagram and George Sheard on YouTube as well. Um, we're going to be doing weekly reviews here, more in-depth things, theories and all that sort of thing um, throughout. Um, I will be doing my War of the Sontarans review on YouTube on Sunday night. And then on Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to be appearing on Who Knew, a Doctor Who podcast um, ran by Josh Carr, who you might be familiar with. Um, and I'll be talking to him about War of the Sontarans on there. And then I'll be back here to talk about anything I didn't talk about on those two outings uh, on here, as well as some theories and all that sort of thing from you guys on Twitter. So make sure you stay active. Make sure you look forward to next week. If you're not already listening to the podcast here, please do consider following us and listening to more episodes. We've got loads of podcast episodes about so many films out there already. Um, just to name a few, we've got Last Night in Soho and The French Dispatch recently. We've also got loads of Marvel films. We've got the Cornetto Trilogy, or at least two parts of the Cornetto Trilogy. Um, you know, we've got, got loads of stuff on here, loads of films that I like. The Shining, we did Psycho recently with Samuel Davis, uh, John Wick, Back to the Future, Christopher Nolan films, Star Wars, we're going to have some more Star Wars stuff soon. So if you are interested in film, or at least could be willing to give it a try as something else that I do when you're here from YouTube and the Doctor Who community, please, please do consider dropping us a follow and keeping up to date with this. Um, we're going to have obviously a weekly Doctor Who episode, but we've still got weekly film reviews coming out as well. So yeah, um, stay tuned and yeah, hopefully see you all next week. Thanks so much for listening. See you all later. Bye bye.